Welcome, everyone, to the 15th episode of the Executive Athletes Podcast, actually maybe 14th, but who's really counting? They're actually going by so quickly right now, and it's a blast. Um, thanks, everyone, again, for feedback, comments, questions, concerns. We've got some amazing guests in the past. We have some amazing guests lined up, and want to thank everyone for listening, I think, or thank everyone for listening, and you know, we've just hit some major milestones and downloads, so Keep up the good work. Make sure you subscribe on Apple. You can check it out on Anchor FM um, or Anchor.fm, where the where the podcast actually is. And you can check it out anywhere on Executive Athletes, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or or the site itself. So, thanks everyone for being part of this part of this community. Um, this week's guest is pretty unique. Um, someone actually who's been part of the Executive Athlete community for a while and we never really have spoken in the past until just recently but we've had a number of very similar a lot of similarities uh we know a lot of people in the in the same world and um i think you're really going to enjoy it a little bit different topic here which is pretty cool um so this week's guest is actually going to talk a little bit about the mystique of ethiopian distance running and i know being here in boston that's a major thing that we always see is the Boston Marathon, the Ethiopians going out and just crushing it. Um, and we always wonder what makes them tick. And the Eob Tesma, who I'll do give a quick intro to, uh, will give us a lot of that insight, which I'm pretty excited to hear about. So this week's guest, Eob Tesma, is a 55-year-old human resources professional with over 25 years of management experience who comes to us from the passion world. He's a competitive marathoner seasoned coach, athletic consultant, and astute Olympic historian slash motivational speaker who lives in Los Angeles, California. Hopefully he's not sucking down all the smog out there. Um, approximately 25 years ago, he adopted long-distance running and swimming as a cross-training sport to complement his endurance in semi-pro soccer competitions. And like many of us, gradually his passion for long-distance won over, and he transitioned into in into intensifying his running career, going from zero to hero, and successfully running his first LA marathon in 1995, which, which is crazy. I, I saw this thing today. 1990, if you look back to 1995 in terms of technology, and you put that number of years forward, it's actually 2041. How scary is that? Um, but never looking back, he maintained his consistency. And to date, he's run his home marathon, hometown marathon alone, 23 consecutive years. And adding all of the other marathons he's completed, he currently stands at a grand total of 64. Along the way, he's recorded 80 half marathons, which I'm sure are just his training runs, and other various short distance races that are way too many to count. But he's unique because he's been named one of the most inspirational runners in California. In over two decades, he's successfully secured numerous sponsorships and endurance or endorsements from famous brands including Saucony, Nike, Asics, Casewick, Skechers, and Hoka. Um, he's the founding legacy runner at very various races throughout Southern California and enjoyed being featured in the LA Sports and Phys Fitness magazine, as well as appearing on LA's KNBC, KTLA, or KTLA's Morning Show. And in 2014, he was recognized by the California State Senate, the LA City Council, and Mayor Eric Garcetti for his 20 years of active sports involvement in the community and successfully achieving his 20-year 20, 20 20 year goal of running 50 marathons by 50, which is amazing. 
And alongside his races, Eob enjoys raising funds as a running ambassador representing the world of children, an organization which supports vulnerable children around the world. So today he's our podcast he's our podcast guest and will use the lifetime understanding about his legendary heroes and heroines to speak with authority about the mystique of Ethiopian distance running. So Eob, welcome aboard and you know, you've got an amazing background. It's Feel free to add anything you'd love to it or anything you'd like to uh, so the listeners get to know you a little bit better. Well, first of all, Ken, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. And um, it is quite a rare opportunity at forums such as this to uh, share uh, information and shed some additional light uh, if it uh, proves to be helpful at all to the mystique of Ethiopian long distance running. It's, so yeah, tell us a little bit about it. I think everyone sees the marathons and I'm sure probably the major ones in Boston, New York, Chicago, and they seem to be dominated by the Ethiopians. And again, when we were chatting before, you said you were born in Ethiopia. So give us, give us a quick uh, down and dirty, or it's actually probably longer than a quick down and dirty. Well, you're absolutely right. It's the latter. And uh, basically, I started off with uh, all sorts of interesting discussions that circulate around this phenomenon, because it truly is a mystique. And uh, I guess, you know, to uh, really summarize it um, for fear of not uh, addressing it fully, uh, I think it boils down to a comparative analysis of nature versus nurture. And uh, when you expound on this uh, notion, uh, you know, a lot of uh, schools of thought would basically um, argue that Ethiopians were basically um, born to run. And naturally, they seem to uh, have a certain dispensation, uh, an advantageous dispensation towards running, uh, as, as do the Kenyans and other East Africans. Uh, much more so than the rest of the globe. Uh, but, and there is some truth to this. There's even some scientific proof uh, that can be presented as evidence to this. But on the flip side, there's also an analysis that uh, results in covering what is known as nurture. And it's not so much uh, how Ethiopians may be different. Uh, in other words, do they or don't they have larger capacity lungs? Do they or don't they have uh, stronger hearts? Uh, do they or don't they um, have the physical stature uh, with long um, uh, bone structures below the torso that allows them to move as swiftly as they do? But it becomes another uh, issue about nurture. And uh, just as a stereotype is false in assuming that all Ethiopians and all over the Ethiopian nation state you do have uh, and find nothing uh, different than the best runners. It's only certain designated areas which uh, nature has endowed with uh, the kind of altitude, uh, the kind of lifestyle uh, that you know Ethiopia brings about most of our runners. Same thing could be said about Kenyan runners. And not all of the nation state of Kenya is made up of uh, you know, world record-breaking runners. It's only places like Eldoret 
you know, with high altitudes and um, uh, weather situations that uh, are favorable uh, to provide altitude running and good or good um, lung capacity that allows for this to take place. So, uh, long story short, you know, I basically want to uh, kind of share additional insight into um, talking more about nature versus nurture. And how is that? And do you think nature makes a difference or nurture makes a difference to the Ethiopians? Because you just mentioned the number of things that nature makes a difference. Well, you know, let, let me first of all start off by uh, basically, uh, you know, touching upon what I uh, started out um, mentioning, some things about nature. Um, naturally, uh, the East Africans, even as opposed to the West Africans in the, in the same continent of Africa, are built with lean muscles um, as opposed to the bulky mus muscles of the West Africans, for example, the Nigerians, Cameroonians, you know, uh, or, or, uh, or people from Ghana. Uh, so the East Africans, whether they uh, are Kenyans, Ethiopians, uh, Eritreans, Somalians, um, you know, come uh, in, in the kind of build that lends itself to thin muscular uh, structures um, with um, long lower body uh, proportions. Uh, so that's helpful, and this has evolved, obviously, uh, for students of anthropology and evolution, you know, for thousands and millions of years of uh, man's uh, erected, you know, posture. Uh, so that is something to be said about that. But as far as nature and nurture goes, um, the people who really are um, um, the ones generated to become great uh, runners come from that part of the Rift Valley where the whole Platonic um, area is raised five to 7,000 feet above sea level. And this lends itself as the air gets thinner as we rise up in altitude uh, for making better and efficient lung capacity. So it's not so much that Ethiopian runners have bigger lungs and uh, they can do more with their lungs, it's the efficiency that has evolved over here, uh, over time, of processing uh, that thin air that they find themselves living in. Uh, and uh, needless to say, most of these people come from agriculturalist and pastoralist kind of areas where the nutrition that they have is mostly uh, of uh, grains uh, and, uh, you know, dairy and meat products are. Um, you know, um, a unique commodity item, which are scarce. So they grow up, you know, uh, organically uh, nourishing their system with uh, um, uh, food items that basically give them strength and, um, and, and build their, their system that way. Uh, so um, as, as their pastoralist lifestyle shows, most of the young boys um, are shepherds, you know, tending to their sheep and goats. And uh, the women uh, have to travel quite a few miles to get water in their everyday uh, subsistence living and existence. And life is harsh, uh, but they're survivalists. And as a result, you know, uh, of their going and comings on a daily basis, what they don't know and what we find out, meaning the rest of the world finds out in later years, are they're really uh, Olympians in training, and they just simply don't know it. So it's not uncommon for heroes like Haile Gebrselassie to have grown up running to and from school 
six to ten miles every day going and coming and obviously they have to trot and jog and run faster and and all of these things you know provide that training for them that even they don't know they have until they they hit the uh, international scene and uh, they become like bunny rabbits uh, with an oxygen mask on their backs and never tire and break all sorts of records and it's, especially when you're late for class you're going to run faster absolutely absolutely <laughs> you know there are there are society uh, uh, constructed you know uh, punitive measures that are taken that uh, of course uh, my heroes and heroines have basically uh, touched upon in the past during their interviews that uh, uh, they need not be late to school and they have to basically get into school meaning cross the finish line before the ring bells you know uh, uh, meaning before the bell rings you know and and they do that with such efficiency uh, that to and from on a daily basis they're actually thinking to and from class uh, sprinting to and from rivers to get their water, sprinting to and from, uh, you know, tending their sheep and goats, and the training continues. It's interesting that you said about their body types, right? We have that's not something I would ever think about East Africa versus West Africa, but it probably it makes the same sense here in the U.S. of where you live in the country too is based on your body types, and it's very. And you really look at it, it's all around the world, right? Of what you're going to excel at versus not. An Eskimo is going to excel at one thing different than someone who's on the equator, just based on what their body type is. Sure, sure. And, and you know, even differentiating uh, with altitudes, that makes uh, uh, one big difference uh, when we start comparing and contrasting. Why then, you know, the Sherpas of Nepal uh, or, you know, the, the uh, farmers of Peru who equally live in high altitude areas don't ever become Olympic champions. And why is it that it's just the Ethiopians and the Kenyans? So that introduces yet another layer to this uh, discussion, uh, which is slightly outside of both nature and nurture, and that is the psychological makeup, meaning mind over matter. You know, keep in mind that these people come from harsh surroundings live in impenetrable highlands and make a subsistence living at best. So the mindset, the ethos to work hard, to overcome uh, limitations, to survive, you know, is basically uh, a mental strength uh, that is uh, really built upon nationalistic fervor. And that's why you see, you know, the aggressiveness and the assertiveness come out in real race conditions and off to the to the winning podium no we don't see that here right because life is actually too easy here in the states and you don't need to i think every should kid should have to walk to school or ride their bike to school it would change things i deal with it with my own kids to so just get them to go do something and you know fortunately or unfortunately it's you know, that's taking down the american society and what we're dealing with in terms of health issues versus just getting out there and going for a run or again, like you were saying, eating pasture fed food or eating, uh, you know, what eating what you kill in reality, which is going to be the me- the best food that the best and freshest that you could ever eat. That's right. That's right. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, life is simple. Life is simple. Life is very close to nature and there's a uh, synergy by and between nature, the people 
the land that they live in. Right. Exactly. So let's shift gears a little bit. So, you know, you're racing, you're a kick-ass masters athlete. You've been a mentor to many people, you know, throughout your career, both either through the running scene or the professional scene, because you're in HR, what do you think makes people successful? I believe there are many things that contribute to success. And once again here, uh, there could be um, some uh, disentanglement with exactly what defines quote-unquote success. But I say uh, in whatever um, you know, occupation you find yourself in, in whatever engagement you indulge in, uh, there is a mind-over-matter situation where it's not always preparation. It's not always uh, luck. Uh, but there is a, a sense of focus, uh, very laser-sharp. Uh, focus and discipline uh, and intent, you know, like uh, uh, having the steam power to finish off what we all start. That gives a sense of accomplishment. So whether it's at work, whether it's in any kind of sports, uh, you have to have that self-starting motivation and that fire, what the Spanish, um, you know, refer to as gana, that basically has to erupt from inside and propel you towards achieving your goal. That's what makes the difference, I believe. I think so too, and I yeah, you know, and that actually goes right into Mike, my, my next question. So you're you're a passion project guru, right? With what you're doing with giving back, with running, with training, with everything. I'm probably you know I'm right there with you. What do you think that? What do you think the importance of that is in business success? To sort of have a side gig or a side passion to then go back into performing well in your office versus just being consumed 24-7 by your work? Well, I clearly see a close correlation uh, because what you basically do uh, with um, what you love doing as a passion, more, much more so than a hobby, overflows into everything uh, else that you do in, and in all aspects of life. So it, it starts off from a, a psychological belief system that you are perfectly capable, notwithstanding any shortcomings, perfectly capable of being as successful, if not better successful, than the next person to you. And with that belief, you start off with that focus, like I said, with good research-oriented um, discipline and, uh, and uh, wherewithal, to start off something that you truly believe in and would like to accomplish success in. And uh, given you know, everything that uh, we take and what is required of us in our everyday lives, be it work or any kind of life balance that we have, uh, we set out to do to the best of our ability what we set out to do and reach the desired goal. Uh, so it, it absolutely you know, overflows into any and all aspects of the rest of our lives. And those are the marks of, uh, you know, the focused athlete. Uh, I used to have a coach who basically used to tell prospective employers that if you have a tie between two uh, prime candidates and you just don't know which one to pick because they have uh, identical or, you know, very uh, closely compared qualifications and experience, uh, he would say, always go for the athlete always pick the athlete because the athlete brings to the table 
everything else that they apply themselves to in their other activity, in their other world, into the workplace, and you will never go wrong. I have yet to see him uh, make a mistake on that, and it has always been proved to be tried and uh, working. And what do you think about hiring athletes? Do you look for them in, in your role, or is it just something that differentiates those from others? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, I believe that all things considered, and of course, you know, other um, uh, requirements, other qualification uh, thresholds being met, that if you do somehow find out that one is a competitive athlete, as opposed to, to the other one who uh, basically enjoys a sedentary lifestyle. Uh, one thing is for sure, uh, I can bet you anything uh, that I have that you cannot possibly go wrong with the athlete, whereas there may still remain some unknown traits or attributable characteristics of the one that um, you know, uh, enjoys a sedentary lifestyle otherwise. No, it's true because they're going to bring that the the knowledge of health, the knowledge of again pushing the wellness. limits of wellness, right. and and actually it becomes infective. I think back in the old days, not you know even ten years ago, people were afraid to talk about their fitness and what they do, that they ride their bike or they're a runner and this and that. Now it's almost becoming a norm inside of offices that people are are doing this or they do this stuff on the weekend. And I think, you know, a lot of it may be from expanding just beyond doing five K's and 10 K's because now there's so many unique different ways that aren't boring, that people aren't just going to run to compete. They can go do CrossFit. They can go do a Spartan race. They can go do, you know, countless other things and having access to it. Number one. And number two, actually I think having the internet helps because it allows you to really find out about what other people are doing versus just being part of these you know, little exclusive clubs that are out there. Yes, I, cl I clearly and fully agree with you. And this also uh, brings up, uh, by way of a reminder, uh, even an old traditional uh, Buddhist uh, religion notion about completeness. And uh, there is something to be said about seeking and obtaining perfection and completeness in the completeness of mind of body and of spirit coming to, together in a completed circle. So this is what uh, um, your so-called uh, extracurricular activities with health and fitness and wellness provides you. You know, you may already have what it takes mentally. Now this provides you with the bodily strength that would assist in that process. And together, they kind of rise up the spirituality uh, that completes you and no. helps you move forward. Exactly. I, I'm a big fan of having your life either in the three blocks or four blocks. And I, I try to simplify and keep it three health and wellness, career and family. And then each one you can go from there. But once one of those starts becoming too out of whack is when other things start going in the wrong direction. And it's really one of the things I really try to do is to keep that, keep each of those boxes as full as I can at each time, right? So you're always given a third to your family, a third to your health and wellness, and a third to your career. And you can do it four, you can do it two, whatever you want, um, and, and add to it. But it's really finding that balance. It's sort of, you know, that pie chart. Uh, 
um, is what allows me to, to be successful. I can tell, like we were chatting earlier, when one thing starts getting out of control, it's like, boom, I get to rein it back so I can then focus on this a little bit so I can start gaining balance again. What about, so after, you know, you've interviewed, you've mentored, you've been part of endurance athletes' lives your whole life. What do you think is the common theme that makes an endurance athletes tick? Because they're a unique breed. Well, um, I have yet to come across, you know, uh, something that I can think them is uh, only unique to the athlete types. But there are common traits that are shared by most, if not all, of the ones who engage. And it starts off with the self. And like I said, it's not a top-down kind of situation where you have been pushed and you have been uh, drained to, to um, uh, subscribe to a certain way of thinking. Uh, it all has to come uh, the other way around from the self. It has to come from the inside. And basically, it builds that, that um, focus that discipline, which a lot of people, you know, fall by the wayside when it comes to consistent, persistent focus with uh, intricate, you know, discipline that it requires. So this is a common trait that you see in most of the people who spend their quality time, prioritize what else they do in life uh, to set aside time for their wellness, uh, for their um, health, uh, which uh, is now becoming uh, like the fashionable thing to do only because the health industry, you know, has uh, finally identified uh, that it becomes part and parcel of our everyday existence. Uh, but those, uh, you know, athletes and those uh, people who believed in this, uh, you know, started on this uh, voyage a long time before any of the research results, you know, came out. So it's that um, uh, um, humility and, and that humbleness that gets them going from scratch, you know, basically running, for example, is a man's sport. Uh, doesn't require any kind of uh, financial backing. It's one of the simplest, you know, uh, sports to adopt. Uh, you know, uh, it's movement from point A to point B, but at the same time, because you need all of that mental power and that um, um, focus and that discipline uh, to actually get it going um, from start to finish, it kind of accelerates uh, everyone who has that, that ganya that I was referring to earlier. Uh, and, and when it comes out erupting like that, you know, uh, bar none, uh, you become unstoppable. No, that's huge. That's huge. And I think it's, yeah, that's a, uh, that focus, right, of just getting out there. And whenever people ask me, how do I start to get in shape? Um, I always say, just grab a pair of running shoes. Step yep. number one, it's not hard. You don't need fancy clothes. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars at the gym. You just need to go out and run from telephone pole to telephone pole. And that's by far the easiest way to really just get out there and start making it happen. Sure. And, and you know, when you're trying to uh, shed additional light to demystifying uh, the mystique uh, of Ethiopian running, it really boils down to why Ethiopians are naturally endowed, you know, to, to accomplish these things. Had it been because of their capital strength, because of their financial backing, 
uh, Ethiopia as a poor country uh, would be last on the list, not first on the list, but because, you know, these people who have, uh, you know, uh, a certain amount of God-given talent, uh, but they work on it through a tremendously aggressive uh, ethos, a work ethics uh, that, that helps them, you know, um, overcome uh, the challenges of life, and it becomes a game changer, especially in this day and age, uh, then they aggressively use their uh, fervor. And it's mostly, it's of the nationalistic type, where they have a responsibility to prove a point. And the legacy of Ethiopian running, whether it's, it's we're talking about heroes or heroines, over the last 50 to 60 years, have basically shown just that. Every now and then, you come across these superstars who basically carry the whole entire uh, burden of the nation on their shoulders and take it to great lengths. No, it's, it, it's absolutely remarkable. What do you think, um, or what role does athletic health and wellness play in professional success? I think we may have touched on it a little bit, but it's, um, you know, what are your thoughts there? Well, uh, like I said, I think, I think uh, just like eating, uh, drinking, sleeping, uh, walking, uh, you know, uh, athletics in my book uh, is a major um, uh, life activity. And I think it should be defined as no less. So for people to think that, oh, no, um, I'll only work out when I have time for it, you know, is not going to be a sufficient, uh, you know, solution to the situation. You know, I mean, uh, when nature calls, we have to use bathrooms. Uh, when we get hungry, we have to eat. When we hire, we have to sleep. In just the same way, if you incorporate running and or any other athletic activity as part and parcel of your lifestyle with no uh, time uh, deadlines set, then it becomes second nature. And not only does it take care of you, but you take care of it at the same time. It becomes a synergy that you build up and along the way, you enhance your wellness uh, and your health and build up your immune system. And like I said, uh, barring anything unpredictable, uh, go on and uh, you know, contribute immensely to your longevity. In other words, live to be 200 years old. Right. No, it's, it's, I love the, what you said there, though. It needs to become just like food, water, uh, sleep, and you know, pretty much it in order to, to continue to survive. And I think people forget about that. That's right. That's right. If you were to tell an athlete or a budding athlete or a master's athlete that's really looking to take the next step in performance, what would you tell them? Well, the first question I ask uh, of uh, anyone who seeks my advice, and I coach uh, not only uh, you know young and up and coming you know um, individuals, uh, but also seasoned you know uh, pioneers and seasoned. Uh, uh, athletes who've uh, spent a major portion of their life being competitive, I always ask them about the commitment. You know, and it, it really, really starts from there because we have a whole lot more talkers than doers in this world that you may already know. Uh, so are you really a doer and not a talker? Are you really committed to bring about a change from where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow? And it starts from that belief system that whatever you set your um, timeline, your commitment, your focus, your integrity on everything, 
that you really also have the same power not to give up, to relentlessly persist and push the envelope. And you will be amazed once that commitment and um, that self-starting motivation um, hump is conquered, what you're able to accomplish. No, it's, it's amazing. The pudding. Yep. No, it doesn't matter what age you're at either. That's the thing. No, you, no. A lot of sports I was involved in, uh, including soccer, you know, um, are usually, especially nowadays, a young man's game. You know, and after a while, you know, in your 50s and your 60s, you may not have the speed, you know, to run around in the shade after a 70-year-old, perhaps, right? But running, as opposed to any of these sports, is something that you can actually take all the way to, to your grave, literally and figuratively. And if you've seen how many 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds, you know, run the average Joe or Jane down to the ground, you wonder, you know, what these people are made of. But it's a mind of a matter thing that they have long time ago conquered the, the ultimate question of what they're capable of doing and how consistently and uh, seeking perfection through training that they're able to attain in the most simplistic of ways. Right. It's not that hard. It's get your butt yeah. moving is really what it comes That's down it. to. It's really, it's, and again, it's, it's just here, get out there, get moving, walk the dog, go for, like I said earlier, telephone pole to telephone pole. And that's where the best are made either because most people just don't become an elite athlete. They know that they have to go from, you know, like I said, hill to hill or telephone to telephone pole or mile to mile. And that's, it's, they just go faster. It doesn't get any easier. You just end up going faster because everyone's still Absolutely. suffering. Absolutely. I agree. Perfect. So we've, we're hitting the 30-minute limit here, but I have a few rapid-fire questions that are pretty interesting that I'd love to hear from you. So you're in your 50s. Um, you're an athlete. Do you follow any specific diet at all? Well, one clear uh, indication as far as my diet is concerned is at all costs, stay away from junk food. Once you have and have answered that question and gotten that out of the way, then depending on where you are in your training, you either uh, – uh, lean more on carbo-loading as you get closer to performance and, you know, races, or you also uh, lean more towards protein-fortified diets, uh, and in which case, you know, you would choose the healthier meat. Uh, in my specific case, fish and chicken uh, would take on the precedence, uh, much more so than uh, red meat. Uh, I am big on uh, vegetables. I am uh, also high on fruit. Fresh fruits, not fruit juice or shakes that introduce, you know, um, artificial flavors, uh, but the organic, the natural type. And then, of course, the most important aspect of hydration. So as long as you follow that kind of uh, healthy uh, intake of uh, nutrients and food substances, uh, you know, you basically can complete in a very natural way without any additional supplement what your body needs perform and perform well. No, that's great advice. Again, you, you're a master at keeping it simple, but it's really, it's, it's not that hard. No. 
I think a lot of people have you know, have made diet so much more difficult than it needs to be. It needs to be keto. It needs to be vegan. It needs to be this, that, and whatever is the next thing. And it's really just eating a whole foods based balanced diet. Yes, and and you know moderation. You know, in moderation. Now I'm realistic enough to know that sometimes you you may have cravings, and sometimes you may um, want to kind of. Uh, uh, you know, remove yourself slightly, uh, especially when it comes to holiday seasons and, you know, um, imparting with, with family and friends and, and the occasion calls for it, uh, but, uh, a little bit uh, out, of, uh, out of the way. Uh, but once again, uh, the checks and balances have to be in place. That, for example, I can give you, um, uh, come uh, uh, Thanksgiving time, uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, us included, you know, uh, engage and indulge in, you know, barbecues and, you know, food is, uh, you know, the intrinsic topic of uh, conversation. Uh, and when that happens and you basically, for example, have uh, an occasion where you know you're going to be indulging in a little bit more uh, because the occasion calls for it than what you normally do, what should kick in? is the checks and balances that immediately after you have to take accountability. You have to take personal responsibility in making sure that you burn off those calories. You know, I always uh, give the analogy that if I know I have a barbecue Saturday afternoon and somehow we're partaking in that barbecue, I feel and truly believe that uh, seven miles of running would uh, burn all the necessary calories that I need to burn to stay in shape and be in shape and, uh, you know, be exactly like I was before the barbecue, I go over and beyond the call of duty and make sure I go out there and not just run seven miles, I run 10 miles. So you come back mentally uh, liberated, feeling very deserving that you have done more than your fair share, and now you can indulge, and that's what life is all about. Story of my life. Story of my <laughs> life. <laughs> what was your what uh, What was your workout today? Well, uh, the morning. Or have you done it yet? Yes, yes, I have. You know, I work out five days a week, and I only necessarily take Fridays and Mondays off for good reason, which I can you know elaborate on uh, a little later. But basically, you know, my weekday. Uh, uh, results in, uh, you know, um, uh, at least two or three interval trainings, uh, at least one uh, hit workout, and one LSD or long distance slow run. Perfect. Perfect. Now, and do you do most of your long distance stuff on the weekends or do you yes, do clearly, it in the morning? Yes, okay. Clearly, 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 my longest distance is covered are the back-to-back -back runs that I do Saturday and Sunday. So it's not uncommon for me uh, counting less than 24-hour turnaround for my body to acclimate uh, that I do just Saturday and Sunday alone, anything close to 30 to 40 miles. Wow. Oh, perfect. Perfect. And what's your favorite piece of gear? I'm sorry? What's your favorite piece of gear, workout gear, or training uh, gear? It depends. It depends. It depends. You know, uh, you know, rather than kind of promote a certain brand, you know, I generalize by basically saying, you know, uh, first and foremost, you know, um, 
your your uh, apparel should be breathable. You know, in other words, uh, you should have you know not 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 anything tight, uh, but but breathable that allows uh, enough you know uh, air in and out uh, that can be maintained easily and simply. You know, um, uh, shoes should be comfortable, and it depends on the runner's structure once again. You have to be fitted into the right kind of shoes as opposed to just subscribing to a certain brand of what your structure, what your um, takeoff and your landing uh, in your gait analysis really shows. And people can get this from any uh, specialized you know, running store uh, uh, to, to know if they pronate, undernate, you know, all of the, the uh, required gait analysis that they do on you. Uh, socks that are cushiony and once again also breathable, uh, but cushiony can provide some um, stability. Uh, and with that said, with that said, one thing that's an absolute no-no that I get to be asked and quickly answered to is no music. I know a lot of people, especially the everyday jogger types, would like the music for a couple of reasons. Uh, they, they like to be entertained as they're running. Uh, they like to be distracted away from the fatigue and want to concentrate on that. But once again, keeping it simple, in the African terms, as I always tell us, in the African terms, your music should be your pitter-patter. Your music should be your breathing patterns. Your music should be your heartbeat and nothing more. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. That is great. Well, Eob, thank you very much for being part of this podcast. I think you've given me some more, more insight than I think I've ever known about you know, about running and the whole Ethiopian mystique of running, which is fabulous. But just, I think, a lot with your own experience, which was amazing. So thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, uh, where can... You. Nope, go, go ahead. Well, I wanted to thank you for this opportunity, which does not come on a daily basis. And uh, I would be happy to expound on anything or everything that I've basically touched upon because, you know, as you already know, uh, this type of discussion is not simplistic in nature and could take uh, hours, days, if not weeks. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So where can anyone find you if they want to reach out to you? Well, I'm on Facebook and, uh, uh, you know, um, spelling my name would be uh, uh, a challenge to a lot of people, but I'm the only one on Facebook with, uh, with my name and uh, basically running gear uh, for a picture. Uh, so... So uh, that would be easy to do. Uh, my first name is spelled I-Y-O-B. Last name is spelled T-E-S-S-E-M-A. Uh, so that's my uh, uh, social outreach. Um, uh, and, and also, I'm happy to provide my email address, which is my initials, IT, followed simply by the word endurance. So it's IT endurance, all one word, at sbcglobal.net. So anyone and everyone can contact me via email, and I'm very responsive. Perfect. Well, Eob, thank you very much for being part of this. It was a pleasure. It was amazing. And I think, again, an amazing learning experience. So want to thank you once again. And this podcast, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me at ken at executiveathletes.com. And keep hitting the ground and keep on running. Thanks, everyone.